Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Today, I'd like to answer a question that my seven-year-old asked me the other day. She said, Daddy, in the story that Jesus told, who is the prodigal son supposed to be? And to be honest, I wasn't quite sure at first. It had been a while since I examined the story, and I'm not sure I ever dug into the kingdom perspective on it. So that inspired our lesson for today. Oh, from the mouth of babes. Well, Jordan, let me tell you, this was a great question from your daughter. And you know, after you mentioned the conversation that you and she had together, it led me to do my own deep study on these famous verses that we find in the book of Luke. So today I can't wait for us to get started on this lesson so that all of our listeners can find out what the Bible has to say about who this young man was. So let's listen now to the story of the prodigal son as Jesus told it. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began doing without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carob pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread? But I am dying here from hunger. I will set out and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and... In your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So he set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. Your brother has come, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. 
But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead, and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. That was Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So there are two general methods of interpreting scripture, exegesis and eisegesis. Ex means out and ice means in. You can take out of the Bible what was put into it by its authors, and ultimately that's God, who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or you can read into the Bible what you want it to say. A typical eisegetical approach would be to tell you our interpretation of the story of the prodigal son, and then go and find verses that support that interpretation. You know, the common interpretation of this story is the prodigal son represents an unsaved person and his salvation. However, we believe in always taking an exegetical approach to the Bible and to stories like this. So how do you do that? Well, we have a helpful acronym, SPACE. Right. The SP stands for speaker, the A, the audience, and the C for context. The E stands for the explanation. In this order, this acronym reminds Bible students to consider the speaker, the audience, and the context of a Bible passage before attempting an explanation. So let's use the tool on today's reading. As we established at the beginning of the lesson, the speaker or storyteller here is Jesus. But who's the audience? Well, that's the key. If you go back, the audience are the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, they were the Jewish elites. They were well-known experts in the law, and they were frequent critics of Jesus of his practices and of his teachings. Now, we know this was Jesus's audience because Luke chapter 15, verse two tells us. And while we're at it, let's back up to verse one so that we could also understand the context of this parable. So I'm gonna pick it up here in Luke 15 and read for you verses one, two, and three. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable, saying. So a few things to note here. First, the word sinners in verse 1. To us, that word could apply to anyone, including believers. We are all sinners in need of constant confession and cleansing. That's true. But to the scribes and Pharisees, that word meant something a little bit different. It meant, essentially, an unfaithful Jewish person a Jew who was not religious. In other words, these were Jewish people who did not follow the law. Second, the setup in verse 3 is a parable singular. Andy, why is that significant? Well, Jordan, it's significant because what we see here in Luke chapter 15 is really one parable in three parts. You know, what follows verse 3 is the story about a lost sheep. And then Jesus goes seamlessly into a second story, and then there's a story about a lost coin. And then he goes seamlessly into our third story, the story of the prodigal son. 
So to understand the story of the prodigal son, it is helpful to understand that it's one of three stories that were all intended to make the same point to the same audience. And to get the full context, we should also study those other two stories. Okay, so let's do that now. Picking up in verse 3 of Luke 15, and so he told him this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. And then to the second story, verse 8. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. So a quick note, although a silver coin today is worth, I guess, around $30, Andy, back then it was worth an entire day's wage for a laborer, let's say about $100. So to get the analogy that Jesus was using, imagine losing a $100 bill in your house. Of course, you'd search everywhere for it. In any case, now that we have examined the speaker, audience, and full context of today's passage, we're ready to attempt an explanation to, it, to do that exegetical approach. So let's start with your thoughts on the two stories that I just read, Andy. Okay, Jordan, let's do this. The man here is a shepherd, and Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, and we see that in John chapter 10. Jesus uses the symbol of a lost sheep, and that's a symbol he had used before specifically to represent Israel. If we go to Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, we read, Jesus saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And also in Matthew 15, 24, it reads, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So there we have two instances there. And then if we go a little deeper in Isaiah chapter 53, it reads, but he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And here's a key thing. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. And again, that's Isaiah 53, verses 5 to 6. Now, as for the woman who had the 10 coins and lost one, this is a clear type of the Holy Spirit. In biblical typology, the number 10 stands for all. And here it represents all of the church, or all that will be saved. Now, the one coin lost in the house is already part of God's elect, and it's already saved. It's in the house. Remember that. Somewhere in the house. So the Bible tells us as Christians, our names have already been written in the Lamb's book of life since the foundation of the world. So we can safely say that this lost coin is a type of a Christian who is, if you will, out of its rightful place, or better yet, maybe lost his position with God. And this position is one of treasure and glory, and it doesn't represent a loss of salvation. 
Also, we should note that the woman uses a lamp to search for that Christian. And a lamp stands for the word of God. You know, Psalms 119.105 tells us, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So therefore, Jordan, the word, when it is lit up in our hearts, which here is the woman's house, allows us to be found by the Holy Spirit and then put back in our proper place, all for God's glory. Yeah, great points, Andy. And I like how you're alluding to, um, you know, the the possession, because we're going to get into that in a little while here. But, you know, the, the one thing that really jumped out at me when you were saying saying what you were saying before is that all the coins belong to the woman. I mean, they, are, they were part of her her wealth. They were in her purse, you know, so to speak. So I think that's really key to keep in mind as we try to discern what this um, next story is talking about. And that brings us to the story of the prodigal son. So again, the situation here was that Jesus, again, uh, it's important to keep in mind, a rabbi or teacher of the law, was spending time with Jewish people who had turned their backs on the law and the Jewish way of life. So let me say that again. Jesus, who was a rabbi, one of the highest levels of, of, of Jewish person, was spending a lot of time with the Jewish people who had turned their backs on the law and the Jewish way of life. So that caused me to wonder, for example, about tax collectors. Why were they hated and looked down upon so much? I mean, you definitely get that impression when you read the New Testament. So to answer this question, I consulted one of my favorite resources. We talk about it often. It's called gotquestions.org. That's a huge online database of scripture-supported answers to challenging questions from the Bible. And in that article on the website about tax collectors, I learned there were four main reasons that the Jews hated tax collectors. Of course, reason number one is they collected taxes, and of course, no one likes the tax man. Number two, they worked for the Roman oppressors, which meant they were sort of viewed as, as uh, traitors, you know, ethnic traitors or race traitors even. Number three, they were typically dishonest, charging more than they were supposed to, and then skimming off the top for themselves. And number four, and this is the most relevant, I think, they were rich and they lived these lavish lifestyles, you know, throwing crazy parties and stuff. All their people were struggling, you know, just to make ends meet, let alone pay their taxes to their Roman overlords. So the question becomes, why did Jesus spend time with these people, you know, these traitors, these cheats, people who disobeyed God's law? Well, Jordan, as always, you know, we know that the Bible has this answer. And in an earlier chapter, in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus had eaten dinner at the house of a tax collector named Levi, who would later become the disciple Matthew. And, you know, at this dinner, it had concluded that other tax collectors and undesirables were present there as well. So that led the Pharisees and the scribes who were around again. You know, they were, they were found complaining about, you know, who is this Jesus that he sits with? Not only tax collectors, but all these, you know, these evil people, these sinners, like you spoke of earlier. And, you know, here is what Jesus said to them in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Yes, great verse, and I also want the listener to hear that word repentance again, which is which came up earlier. It's going to be very important. So now we can see in the story of the prodigal son a few important things. And again, you know, we hear this story, even if you go and read this entire story in the Bible, but you don't go back like we just did and use the space method or, you know, forget even the acronym. Just look at everything in context, right? There are some apologists that I follow. They always say, never read a Bible verse singular. Always read Bible verses. So when you go back and understand the context of the prodigal son story, 
it starts to become really clear what's going on here. Number one, the younger son, the prodigal, is a symbol of these six sinners in need of repentance. You know, the tax collectors and the unfaithful Jews that we were talking about. And the elder brother symbolizes the self-righteous Pharisees and scribes. So let's get into that a little bit. I mean, the symbolism of the younger son is pretty clear. Like a tax collector, he lived prodigally. That's what the word means, wastefully, extravagantly, etc. It says he squandered his estate, meaning his Jewish birthright, in wild living, devouring his father's wealth with prostitutes. And then he ends up living among pigs, and that could perhaps be a symbol of the Gentile world, because pigs are a symbol of the Gentiles, of the unclean, essentially, in, uh, in the Bible. But, it could, uh, but it's certainly a symbol of all that is sinful and, again, unclean to the Jews. Meanwhile, the elder brother is portrayed as someone who is highly judgmental and unforgiving. He is angry and not willing to go in to the celebration for the return of his lost brother. He is outraged that his brother gets a big feast, and he never even got a small one. So I think the symbolism of the sons is very clear, but it also creates a challenge when you're interpreting this passage of Scripture. Again, most teach that this story is about how unsaved people become saved. But again, the prodigal son was returning to a family of which he was already a part. And the tax collectors and the sinners were Jews, that is to say, already members of the family of God the Father. Exactly, Jordan. And those are amazing points. And it is very consistent with the other stories as well. So, you know, the lost sheep was once part of the man's flock. You know, that's something to consider. The lost coin was once inside the woman's purse. You know, again, very similar points there. And listen again to what Jesus says at the end of the story about the lost sheep. In Luke 15, 7, it says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. The word repent in Greek is metanoia. It means a change of mind. And that involves turning back with remorse from sin to God. You know, it also literally means to walk back from where you came from. And of course, only a man who was once saved and strayed from God can walk back or repent to God. That's key to remember. Now, someone who is unsaved cannot turn back to a God that he has never known. Of course, that action of changing one's mind and turning back and deciding to take action and return home as the prodigal son did, it also implies the doctrine of works. That's important to remember. But we know salvation is, quote, not a result of works so that no one may boast, and that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. So the question is, who is the lost sheep? Who's the lost coin? Who's the prodigal son, Jordan? Well, Andy, we've come full circle back to the question that my daughter asked. Daddy, who is the prodigal son supposed to be? My answer is that today the church is what Israel was back then, the family of God, the children who are heirs of a great inheritance. So that would make the lost sheep of the flock, the lost coin, the prodigal son, carnal Christians, those who have turned away from the faith to pursue fleshly lusts. They are like the tax collectors and irreligious Jews of Jesus' day, squanderers of a great inheritance living prodigally. As Jesus did, we may choose to seek out these spiritually sick people and minister to them, saying what Jesus told his disciples to say to Israel, repent, for the kingdom is near. Return to your family, confess your sins, 
and be renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jordan, I, I highly agree with everything you said. And the lesson here is not about squandering earthly finances, and it's definitely not about losing our salvation and then repenting back to God so that we can get our salvation back. No, 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 no. We see here that the prodigal was a son, first of all. He was not a slave. And what he did was he squandered his inheritance, that which he received just for being a son. So the fact remains, even if he died before repenting, the prodigal son would still remain his father's belong. He would still be his son forever, no matter what happened to him, even if he didn't come back to his father. No, we see that he wasted his inheritance on wild living and then later confesses that he sinned against heaven, all in the sight of his father. And this is an example of willful sin. Now, the prodigal admits he is not worthy to be called a son, which would make him an heir to his father by being a son. And he embarrassed his father. It's obvious. The prodigal says he would be happy just to be a hired laborer. And this likely represents the average Christian who has no hope or a vision of being an heir, but is just happy to be saved. I mean, imagine, you know, the, the guy on death row that, that says, I accept Jesus as my savior and Lord, I'm a sinner and please forgive me. Remember, upon his son returning, which is a symbol of repenting, the father treats him like royalty because that's his heir, and he's not just one of his hired laborers. What a beautiful depiction we see here of how loving and merciful our heavenly father is to his children who were once lost and have now been found. And that, folks, is our lesson. Before we go, don't forget, we want to hear from you, even if you don't agree with what you heard today. Just give us a call and leave a message. Our number is 908-271-6717. If you ask a good question or make a good point, we may even put you on the show. Once again, our number is area code 908-271-6717. 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom, or M-O-T-K. If you prefer, you could send your questions or comments to an email, which is info at motk.org. That's info at motk.org. You can also visit our website at www.motk.org. On the site, you can listen to this lesson again, hear past lessons, and find out more about our ministry. The mission of Mysteries of the Kingdom is to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as possible. We all know studying the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth, yet it can be hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. That's why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God. And with these on-demand audio programs, Christians can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. If you'd like to participate in this ministry and receive the blessings that come from helping to spread God's word, please visit motk.org and click donate. We pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. Also, since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax deductible. Once again, just visit the website and click donate. So let's review. You can listen online and sign up for emails at 20mbs.org. You can listen to us live on Sundays at SiriusXM channel 131. You can subscribe to our podcast on your phone or other smart device. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
at MOTK.org. And you can join us in our mission and donate by visiting MOTK.org. So until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.